peace be to you. Henry the Cardinal Marino. Let us begin with the question. And we're live, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Curiously Catholic and Evangelion production. As you can see to my right, we have Bishop Geelan, and we're going to get into a good conversation today. But before we crack on with that, in this podcast, we're going to continue picking the brains of Catholic enthusiasts and trying to get to the bottom of how to live truly as a Catholic in these contemporary times. My name is Dominic Malgeri, and in this episode, we have Bishop Geelan. How are you, Bishop? Good, thank you. Yeah, very good considering that I've already celebrated my Easter Sunday Mass. We recorded an Easter Sunday Mass today at the cathedral. Oh. That was very unusual and uh, I have to say my heart, given that we're in the heart of Lent and and some of it, yeah, it was an extremely unusual um, occasion, but all 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 the better for the fact that I've already celebrated Easter. Yeah. Oh man, it's such a strange time that we're living in right now. Like we were mm. just discussing before how weird it is this concept of being live streaming onto social media and like not knowing who's watching you and but now you're living in the future. Uh whilst... That's right. <laughs> and and I was talking to Bishop Pat about it and I was saying it's it, it almost felt like you know, yeah, you're you're presuming a grace, you know, you're presuming the grace of Easter, which you normally, in a sense, walk through, you know, with Jesus. And it's that joy that he's free from all that suffering. You've journeyed with him. And I'm, I'm anticipating that suffering while celebrating it all at the same time. So. Yeah, because, like, you're also doing Exodus 90 at the moment, aren't you, Bishop? I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a form of it. Anyway, I don't know if, how perfect anyone ever does Exodus 90. Oh. Well, you know, we can we can only hope to uh, do, you know, hope to grasp yeah. the greatness that is called for us. Eh? Yeah. Oh, lots of grace. Lots of grace. Incredible grace from it. Yeah. Yes. But um, getting back into the podcast, the way we start every episode is we just want to get to know the person we're talking to. And the best way to do that is to find out how did you become a Catholic? Were you a cradle Catholic or were you a convert? Both. Uh, I was baptized three weeks after my birth, baptized Catholic, three weeks after my birth. And uh, my parents didn't really practice their faith from there on. Uh, They might have for the first year of my birth. I I don't, I can't remember, obviously. Uh, And then they came back to their faith when I was about eight. They started practicing their faith and what I noticed was everything changed. Everything changed. We went from being a, uh, I, my life went from being uh, pretty normal, pretty, uh, what would I say, it lacked joy, real joy. Um, obviously, I had parents who loved, them, who loved each other, but there was something incredible that changed when they went back to church when they came back to mass when they started celebrating their faith again and um, yeah i very soon afterwards maybe a couple of years afterwards felt a call to priesthood and i'm sure it relates i'm sure it relates you felt a call to priesthood when you were when you were eight or ten ten yeah 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. many questions. Okay, so um, you said, what was? Do you know what it was that brought your parents back into going to church? Uh, not re not really. I mean, my father came from a very strong Catholic family, uh, and his dad was big in the charismatic renewal and was evangelizing him. Um, I, I, I don't really know why. Or I remember my father asked my mother to buy him a Bible. He started reading the Bible again, and then he started going back to church. And he became a more loving man, a more gentle man. Mm. Uh, he had more time for us, you know, as, as faith does to us. It softens us. Uh, yeah. And then my mother followed him. God bless her. She's a pretty strong woman, very Australian uh, of Irish extraction. And uh, she followed him. And, uh, well, you know, took her own journey, of course. But And when, when, when she did that, they did that. Of course, their marriage, not of course, but their marriage did, did strengthen. Mm -hmm. uh, there was more love between them. And, yeah, I felt a call to priesthood right about that time. It's not... That unusual, if we're if we're honest. I mean, a lot of guys will say, you know, I, I wanted to be a fireman when I was a young boy, and I became a fireman. I wanted right, to be a teacher. Right. I wanted to be join the army. I wanted to, you know, go into nursing. Or my sister I had a sister who wanted to go banking, oh. and she's now a banker. So, yeah. So, um, because I, yeah, I ask this question to everybody as they as they come on to the show, and like. I always say that like everyone's a convert in a sense because I found that even the people that were like brought up Catholic have that conversion experience. But you had yours when you were what we were you say about ten? Eight. Eight. Convenient. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what was that what was that feeling like of wanting to be a priest? Uh, was it like brought on because you had a particularly good priest, or was it just that you you know, what was what made that movement? Do you think? What do you think helped encourage that uh, that call? Yeah, we did have a particularly good priests. My father and in, in the household, you know, <laughs> the father of the house. Uh, the, he led us in prayer, and uh, I always had a great love for my my father. Uh, so he had a big influence on me, and. Uh, yeah, that would have, I mean, as you know, the mystery of just even a faith, of your faith, it's made up of so many different elements. And so it's, it's also true of, of uh, a vocation, you know, it, there's all sorts mm -hmm. of elements that play into it. Uh, I did have good priests. I grew up in a place called Tukaroa. Uh, we live, we're a farming, uh, farming family. Uh, and so lots of wonderful community, really wonderful, rich community made up of many different nationalities. Uh, and lots of different priests who I, I came to respect. But none would really stand out and say, like, I wanted to be like him. Um, okay. Yeah, because I think, like, you know, you touched on something that was, uh, I think, quite pertinent, and, like, I think we always forget um, in our faith is, like, when we think of a particularly good priest, we think of, you know, the priest that's at the altar uh, celebrating the Mass. But uh, obviously we're all baptized priest prophet and king so you you think you so your father helped helped you in that 
uh, aspect and he you saw his priesthood um in the household was that would you agree with that that's right priests priests you know uh lead prayer i suppose essentially if you want to break it down to its very the very foundation of priesthood is to <clears throat> sanctify something make something holy and so my father did that at home you know we, we we prayed as a family we prayed the rosary as a family we we were always praying as a family we, we were part of my father's a big part of the charismatic renewal so he's a big one into praying in tongues and all that sort of stuff uh and so it was very real very personal as the charismatic renewal is uh and so that just i had that from the almost from the you know from eight some from a very young age uh and was very authentic and and easy i was thinking how our faith is just such a natural thing for me you know it's mm -hmm. both a grace i suppose and something that i've learned because mm. like i think a, a part of my faith journey the charismatic renewal has always been there um mm. but like one thing i've never uh, i mean I've, I've seen a lot of people struggle with this kind of marrying together of like more traditional catholicism and like the charismatic renewal um mm. which you know are one in the same in, in a sense but on the outside they look completely different mm. and uh, like you said often in the charismatic renewal you get a lot more testimonial kind of personal sharing um because i started out that way um you know i was baptized in the spirit when a very kind of early on in my conversion and um so i always had that charismatic element but i could never marry it up with tradition until much later on and so um how like how would you how would you articulate the the combining of say like something as traditional and routine as a rosary and something is seemingly more free and free-spirited as like praise and worship or praying in tongues. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is happening all around the world. John mm. Allen, John Allen, he's a commentator. Um, he, he writes, writes in the uh, news feed called Crux. You might have read it. He's a really good commentator on what's happening in the church. And he says there's two types of young Catholic. There's the evangelical Catholic and there's the traditional Catholic. So he's recognized that as those are the two people who seem young young people who seem to be practicing their faith today in the, in the Catholic Church. Of course, there's a lot more, but he noticed this at World Youth Day. He said mm. he just kept seeing these two groups. Uh, what I've found in my own life is that ultimately it's about um, – an encounter with a, a real living person in God, you know, in the Trinity, a living um, uh, relationship that we're called to join in, to join, to join, be part of, and so that's a heart thing. And then we have to understand it. Of course, we've got this great organ, the brain, that 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 helps understand to a certain degree what it is that we're part of uh and tradition is is part of that you know this this incredible i find this incredible privilege of being part of a of the apostolic succession tracing our heritage all the way back to the, the first apostles and everything that's flowed from that magisterium i i find that 
they they all fit together. Um, it's not you know like as, as we say with Catholics, we're both and we're not either or. Mm. So it's both head and heart. Uh, I do come across sometimes people who are, tend to be more head than heart, and others that are more heart than head. I suppose it's true of all of us. That's a lot to do with our personalities too, our makeup, our, our characters. Um, but ultimately, we've all got to do that. If you're going to be a, a and we're going to talk about it later, if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be an intentional disciple, you need to, you know, both be in love with our Lord and understand Him, and understand His bride, the Church. Um, yeah. And the liturgy, of course, is where that happens in its most beautiful. Uh, and it's perfection, uh, which you have to understand. You can't just rock up to a mass. The liturgy, you know, you find it at its most beautiful, but you have to understand the mass. You can't just turn up, rock up off the street and say, oh, I get what the mass is about. You know, there's a whole history behind it and a depth of mystery that you need to understand and grow into. So that requires... Uh, patience and learning and and uh study so you know for me it's 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 the both end um, yeah. yeah i heard it once described um when someone was talking about the latin mass it's like um it's like getting to know um a grandparent you don't just turn up on the first meeting and say okay we've we've had a chat i, I get you now that's it you you go and sit with them regularly and get to know them and talk to them and you learn about their lives and you build a relationship and all of a sudden you come to understand them a bit more and yeah i guess because you know the mass is, is you know there's elements of it that are ancient and kind of we have like mm. the, the novus order we have um the latin mass but um there's elements of it and correct me if i'm wrong that come all the way from like jewish temple worship in some in some cases mm. Um, mm. And that's really Absolutely. beautiful. The Passover. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's all about. We're about to find that out with the with the Good Friday. You know, Jesus was Jesus died at three o'clock when they were uh, we you know when they were slaughtering the the lambs, the, the the great sacrifice in the temple. At the same time, you know, he replaced or took upon himself all that all the all that the lamb was, mm. all that the sacrifice was. And the beautiful thing is just like, I think something that I think is just amazing about the priesthood is the ability to bring that to the people. Like now, you know, you know, bridging mm. together to two times mm. and you decided you want to do that when you were eight. Um, I decided that was 10. Remember how long, uh, how long? Cause obviously seminaries seven years. What, uh, what age did you enter and what was it like? Did that call stay with you from 10 to the day you entered the seminary or was it? And how was that like? I mean, going through school. Oh, you, it's, it's like everything. Every young man, you were one yourself. You know, you, you, you're, you're attracted to, the, to this girl and then you're, mm. you're, and you're dominated by your sport and then you've got a job and then you there's uh, – a group that you're part of and then that's right i, I still feel called to priesthood and yeah it was just a typical journey of a young man walking the road sensing that there was a a, a goal that he was well not definitely not a goal a um 
a vocation that he was he was called to and I, I never left me it has never left me it is an incredibly beautiful gift that the lord's given me it doesn't mean that i've always you know walked that journey perfectly that's been a struggle you know to try and uh realize what it takes what it means to be a priest mm. uh, and as i've got older i've appreciated that it's much more uh uh there's a much greater sacrifice than i <laughs> realized when i was younger of course and that's often you'd know that marriage already you mm, put your second no, child's yeah. go along it's very different to what you thought it was when you were 17 or 18. yeah 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 better than i could have ever imagined um were you able to articulate that call as a lad to your peers and how did that go yeah yeah, yeah i'm a very uh open book so uh yep yeah everybody knew at school uh, i remember going that went, went to school and the principal said at high school said uh, so what do you want to be and i said uh and my mother was sitting with me and i said I was, what was i 13 and i said i want to be a priest he said what sort of priest i said catholic priest and this is a secular school he said we've never had one of those before good on you son oh there you go that's that's pretty cool and so like and so how did like your peers react to that Were they were just kind of like oh yes michael is going to be a priest yeah yeah pretty much yep yep um yeah yeah, I, I mean, I was I wasn't a big drinker. I wasn't a at school, so um, you know, it sort of was reasonably consistent. I was um, part of the youth group system. Uh, yeah, I lived a pretty faithful life. I'd like to think. Um, so yeah, it's I don't know what they thought. All I know is mm. I got on with it. I was, I was big into rugby and cricket. Played. Uh, I was I was in my leadership team at school. Deputy head boy at school. So you know, it's another just a run of the mill kid who happened to have this, I suppose, slightly weird uh, desire to be a priest to, to a lot of people. But yeah, I never got I never got ridiculed for it. I might get told off every now and then if I swore or did something like that. They'd say, "Oh, a priest shouldn't do that." Right. Okay. Bit of banter, um, and so with that, in with that, with that call to the priesthood, would you have ever imagined yourself as an auxiliary bishop? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, the journey to priesthood is hard enough, isn't it? Seven years of training, <coughs> of formation. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, I, I mean. To be honest, when you're a priest, and everybody asks you, unfortunately, all the time, we've got in our, the world we live in, it's all about a hierarchical system. You know, it's like, where are you going? What's your, mm. what's your, we'd always say, well, like, do you want to be, do you want to be the bishop? And people did mention it over the years. Some people would say, oh, you've, you've, you've got, I can see you doing that. I could see you being in that role. Uh, but I suppose what you want to be as diocesan priest is be the best pastor, shepherd of your little, patch you can be and, mm. and again like a dad you know it's like well as a father do you do you see yourself being anything more than a, a father like a grandfather do you see yourself being a grandfather it's like no i just want to be a good dad you know worry mm. about that if and when it ever comes um yeah mm. so um just quickly what is an auxiliary bishop 
is it like a half a bishop or a uh yeah it was exactly the same is a good way to explain it is it's exactly the same as an assistant priest so oh, you okay. are a priest with every uh faculty every every ability that any priest has so every priest has the same uh, sacramental capabilities uh or faculties but as a parish priest you have more responsibility uh mm -hmm. associated with your role and now obviously as bishop so i'm a bishop as much as bishop pat is uh, but obviously bishop pat is our ordinary uh he's the shepherd of our diocese and <coughs> responsibility for that and uh and the spiritual responsibility that brings as well uh, and i assist him in that role that's that's the that's an auxiliary that's an auxiliary bishop i think rather than assistant bishop I think auxiliary's got to do theologically with the fact that you 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 are fully a bishop. It is that you're not assisting Bishop Patton being a bishop, you know, and, and what that what that means. Uh, it's part of it's the fullness of holy orders, uh, and therefore allows you to fulfil all the church asks of you from that perspective. Yes, yeah, so I'm growing into the role. I've only been in it a year, so uh, yeah, yeah. And I, like you said, I didn't see myself come into this role. <laughs> so, if um, Bishop Pat should tomorrow decide, actually, I'm stepping down, would you then become the bishop? No, no. So that's a coadjutor, a coadjutor bishop. So a coadjutor bishop is a bishop who the Rome appoints as the 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 assistant bishop, so to speak, who will automatically succeed the ordinary when he retires or dies um whereas the auxiliary uh that that is not the case so when if when bishop pat retires or his his resignation is accepted by rome and he retires or passes away we pray that doesn't happen uh then the process is is undertaken to soon who are the ordinary of this diocese will be um and i may be part of that i may not be it's pray i'm not <laughs> this is uh, by far the largest diocese in, in new zealand and has many many challenges and opportunities uh but uh it would be a a huge challenge for whoever god calls to it i'm sure he'll grace them but um i'm passing he'll pass me up on that one <laughs> Ah, okay, so it's not something you're after. I suppose the way that, uh, the, with this idea of a, an auxiliary bishop, it kind of changes that hierarchical structure as kind of like, um, just like, it's like a, just a different role rather than like looking at a bishop as kind of like a king. It's more like a, um, it's more like a, a um, I guess, a facilitator role or a, um, because like it's not like I'm going to rule over you, but it's more of a case of I'm going to do the job that it's I've been given. It's servant leadership, isn't it? You know, it's a, we're we're supposed to servant at servant leadership. We're supposed to oh, yeah. lead the way that Jesus leads or led. Mm. Uh, uh, so that's the challenge, of course, that 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 every bishop is is called to, every shepherd, because ultimately you're the shepherd of the diocese. Uh, so, yeah, that's a great, a great, awesome responsibility. 
that that we don't mm. take lightly. And I see Bishop Pat. I see the the incredible sacrifice he makes for our diocese. And mm. I'm I'm very very yeah, uh, I have great respect for him and for the way that he he, he serves our diocese. Um, obviously, we are not called to serve in the same way. We're all called to live out, you know, be authentic ourselves. Uh, but ultimately, my my uh, call, I believe, is to is to support him in his role where he needs me. Mm-hmm. And so, most auxiliary bishops would 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 live like that. Um, okay. Cool. Um, so, the hierarchical structure we've got in the church comes from comes with the the apostolic succession right and so apostolic so we um what you guys are as the hierarchy is kind of like what the disciples were is that right yes yes uh you're you're the i mean a bishop in a in in its greek the the um Episcopal order is uh, and the direct translation is overseer, the overseer of the particular area, uh, or simply the shepherd. Uh, so yes, you take on that responsibility, that that responsibility, that or that call, that uh, privilege that, that Jesus gave his disciples and apostles, and you then be are you live that you are the sign of unity for your uh for your diocese bishop pat is that for us and i serve him in that role i support him in that role uh it's you know it's an awesome responsibility when you think in our diocese you know we've got hundreds of thousands of catholics we've got you know 20 uh, how many thousand tens of thousands of students in our catholic schools and you know, uh 60 parishes it's it's incredible what that means uh but once again you can only do that what's human to the human capability that god's given you to the best mm-hmm. of your ability uh and leave the rest to god's grace mm. so um we're going to be talking about i think we could carry on talking about like the role of the bishop for the rest of the the year because there's just so many questions there's lots coming in through the chat as well Uh, but i want to move on to discipleship because i know a big passion of yours is discipleship and evangelization and so um again we'll start off with you know what exactly is discipleship with the 12 disciples um, but what is it to be a disciple? Well, the ultimate goal is to be, uh, as you know, is is, is 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 to be sanctified, to become, to set our lives apart, and to represent as much as possible. I was just reading Edith Stein last night when I was going to bed, and she said we're all called to be conformed to Jesus, uh, and so. The more we that, that we are, the more people will see Jesus in us, and that that requires, a, as you know, as we all know, that takes requires many years of of forming and uh, molding and maturing, 
and that leads to a, a fully formed disciple. And that's the goal. That should be the goal for all of us is, is in the image of Jesus. But as you know, that doesn't happen easily. That takes time. And, uh, and, and there even there are stages given to that. So we speak of the stages of faith development, starting with uh, the initial encounter with Jesus, thinking about the apostles, meeting him on the Sea of Galilee, uh, and being struck by him, and then uh, and, and then falling in love or being uh, enticed by to follow him, to trust him, to believe him, and then to make a decision, which we, we call... Uh, they, they are in, they become intentional disciples so they they are following Jesus with a passion I look around our world you know and I look at people what 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 makes people tick what makes people passionate what fills them with joy or or, or, or gives them purpose that pulls gets them out of bed in the morning and they've be you know in a sense they become a disciple of whatever that is whether it be uh, our work or our, our career our sport, our family, whatever it is, that's you've, you've, you've discipled yourself, you've given yourself over to that, to follow that master. And so we're looking for that. I believe ultimately you'll find your deepest peace. And when, as we would both agree, I'm sure, that we're made, our purpose is to be in relationship with Jesus, to follow him in, the, in, his, in, his, with, uh, in his bride, the church. And so we've got to be doing everything we can to help people do that. And that's discipleship. That's the journey of discipleship. Mm. So there is being a disciple, and then there is um, discipling others. Mm. Uh, would you say? And so, I guess, how do what do we have to do? I guess practically, what does being a disciple look like? So it's being in relationship with Christ, and uh, I guess conforming ourselves onto Him. But so how? Just some practical tips, maybe. Is like how do we? How do we start being a disciple? Because I guess we'd have to be a disciple first before we can start helping others become a disciple. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why we read scripture, isn't it? Is that we you follow what disciples have, what the first disciples were, how the first disciples lived. That's why we, at every mass, have three pieces of scripture that that help form us, uh, and we've learnt over time that 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 requires repentance that requires silence that requires entering into the mystery whether that be the eucharist or penance or uh, anointing allowing the spirit to lead us and it requires a disciplined life Uh, principles that basically every vocation for want of a better term uses if you're going to be good at anything or you want to reach any goal you have to use you know you have to be able to tame the the the, our our, our body so that it can follow what we're asking of it what the what the will what god's will is for us and obviously god's will is that you become the best person you can be it's the person made in his image uh, that shares his love for others and that's if you, you talk about evangelization what's the best way to evangelize uh, to be the best person you can be. You know, mm. you're good at this. You like this sort of thing. I've watched you over the years, and you, you know, you love uh, engaging the grey matter. Mm. You love uh, debate. You like 
testing people's belief systems and 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 understandings and so of course it's natural that you would use that skill and that gift and that passion for god and for his church god bless you you're doing that it's inspiring to see someone who doesn't get paid for this and takes you know <laughs> shaves off his his precious time that which he should be using for his studies yeah um thank you um so like i guess that that changes the idea at least in my mind, of what a disciple is. When we think, and I think, all right, I'm going to be a disciple, which means I'm going to be in relationship with Christ. I guess, I guess, I think of a more kind of like holy, kind of churchy kind of attitude. But I, I love what you're saying here. Is it's kind of be the person God called you to be, like unapologetically and to to the full. And that could be, in my case, by podcasting. It could be cycling. It could be engineering but like bringing god into that and like because you have that relationship mm -hmm. with him mm -hmm. so what way can we build our relationship with god so that we are bringing god into like the banality or the mun mundaneness of normal life uh saint francis de sales spoke spoke about us all having a vocation because at that time it was only they felt that you're only really holy if you're a nun or a priest if you're a sister religious sister or a priest and then he reminded people no we're all called to a vocation in our lives religious priesthood single life married life and we're called to do it to the best of our ability and that's our vocation you know so we're sanctifying our everyday lives and so I heard one of your your podcasts earlier speaking about Saint Teresa of Azure, how she talked about the small things. It's the small things done with great love that everyone's ultimately called to, because that's how you grow, that's how you mature into who God's calling you to be. Of course, the call is to follow God's will. Now that's another discussion. That's another discussion altogether. How do we know God's will? And that's a journey of life. But it, it calls for a a. Uh, a consistency in your spiritual life obviously discipline uh a disciplined life a a, a prayer a life of prayer and of, of the sacraments uh and associating with people and this is such a simple thing but of course associating with people who reflect who we want to be like i've heard it said and i'm sure you have too if you want to see what someone's like look at their friends or who they're going to become look at their friends because our friends help you know help form us and that's what discipleship is we're following a master the master's jesus we're trying to become like him we're his disciples we've been discipled by him and obviously we would associate with people who are lower like-minded mm. yeah so it's about um surrounding ourselves with i guess goodness and uh things that lead us to christ um it's like i find like because you know like you mentioned earlier so obviously reading scripture um but then like i suppose it's taking seriously the the message of scripture which is that christ is real and he's called us to live a life and so how are we going about that um because i think one of the things that i've 
recently realized in my own life is um um we're called deeper the deeper we go um one thing i've realized like i've been praying about it uh, like i said we're going through exodus 90 and one thing i realized is like god saying watch your language because i've done exodus 90 before so i know the practices and that's kind of like it's not easy but i know it and so now it's like god saying okay change the the small things make sure mm. that they're they're oriented towards me mm. and i suppose mm. i think it's really beautiful this concept of relationship not just being a you know a way that we talk to each other now uh, or I, I tag you on something on facebook but it's um it's a conforming but to christ mm. mm-hmm. like, like keeping it simple and i i think it's really important we keep it simple otherwise it gets confusing like is it the commandments is it the virtues uh how often do we go to reconciliation uh you know it, 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 how do we pray the rosary don't we pray the rosary is it divine mercy uh you know how many novenas should we say it's it can become complicated when fundamentally we need to keep to these two key uh signposts or or uh litmus tests in our life do I love God and do I love my neighbor? Am I growing in my love of God and growing in my love of my neighbor? Because uh, loving God, of course, gives us those that framework and in, in, in His bride, the church, and loving our neighbor calls us to live that out. You know, to live out that that relationship. Uh, and for me, that's the, always the challenge. It's so easy sometimes to get caught up in, uh, I suppose, the really the helpful. I find them really helpful. One of the things I love about our church is she's she's so wise that she's learnt to guide us through the seasons of the year, through uh, signposts and saints' stays, uh, that they can almost become, the law, so to speak, can become my love so if i if i follow the law if i go to mass on sunday if i you know go to confession regularly uh if i pray my rosary every day i can forget about my neighbor because i'm doing the right, right thing and that's much more complex much harder as you know to to, to yeah. treat my wife well than it is to pray my rosary yeah yeah it's those small things that um it's bringing those teachings home because I think there is mm. there is a place for it. Like we were talking about the mass earlier, and there is a, there is a level where you know you've just got to go to mass because that's where mm. you're going to experience Christ. And mm. like regardless about how much you know about the mass, but then there's that also the other levels that okay, actually I do need to go deeper, and I should learn a bit a bit more about this. But mm. then it's like okay, it's e- like you say, it's easy to do that with a prayer like the mass or a rosary or i can just read mm. i can read all scott Hahn's books or i can read all mm. bishop Barron's mm-hmm. books and i've read them now and i'm getting holier but like it's one of those things like mm. um being faced with yourself mm. and saying mm. oh wow um i'm just i'm not actually up to scratch you know i've got all this knowledge but i'm you know my language is awful uh, I easily disregard people and I'm not, you know, living a virtuous life. It doesn't matter if I know what virtues are, if I'm not mm. living that life. Um, mm. 
so yeah, that, that's the, the first part of discipleship, that's being a disciple. And I suppose Exodus Nights helped me with that and like having programs like that are helpful, but you know, if you're not if you're gonna do sign up to Exodus Ninety and not do the reflection on yourself, because one of the things I found really helpful is at the end of every day we have to do a an examine. Um yeah, so we've got that first segment of like discipleship of like looking at yourself, building that relationship with Christ. And so now we go on to discipling. So from there, we want to bring others into relationship with Christ. Um, yeah, well, it's like it's it's a uh, relationship, isn't it? That's the key to faith. It's just an encounter with with someone that loves you. That's the key, and to receive that love, and then of course you want to give that love, because if it's so transformative, then you want to share that with others. Mm. And that's something you, you if, if it's authentic, if it's genuine, you can't stop yourself doing. Uh, now, obviously, there are ways of doing that, that you learn and, and techniques, so to speak, where you do that well, rather than <laughs> whacking a person over your head with the Bible. You know, you okay. must learn about Jesus' love. Like we know now it's witness, isn't it? That, that in this generation, that they, there is such a mistrust, I would say, in this generation, in the millennials. Um, and definitely of things institutional that it's like, how do I know? You know, you've just been so many people say to me, you know, uh, did you grow up in a Catholic family? So because I grew up in a Catholic family, then my faith's not genuine. And I feel mm. like saying, well, if I, if I grew, if I played rugby and I grew up in a rugby family, does that mean I'm not a genuine rugby player or supporter? Mm. I, I, that doesn't make sense at all. It's like, Surely, if I choose to love this, it's a, it's, a, it's my free choice. Mm. I've used my intelligence, I've used my discernment, and I've chosen to do this. It's not I'm not forced. Anyway, it's another discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, because we're going into like you know defending our, our position, but like what we want to do, I suppose it is part of like discipling. Because a question came to mind just then is like. First off, who who's called to be a disciple? Who do we who should we be discipling? Everyone. <laughs> everyone. Mm. Uh, everyone's called. Everyone's called to to if we believe as I do that, that we are formed to be we are made to be in relationship with with, with God, with Jesus Christ. Uh, then it's our responsibility to pass that good news on. Mm. And that's what we're made. And so if we don't live that as a people and as a society, then we're not. Uh, we're never going to, going to know the true depth of joy that that only Jesus can bring and a relationship with Jesus can bring. Um, fulfillment in our lives, fulfillment in our marriages, fulfillment in our, in our occupations. Um, you know, I've, I've asked myself that a lot over the years. Like, is there something better? Because whatever it is, I want to do it, but I haven't found it. That's cool. Yeah, because mm. I guess you're you're living the, the the extremist of like discipleship in the sense that you've you know you've you've taken vows and you've you know decided to live this very um, different life to what we see in the world. And so, like, is it when we think, oh, of course, it's he's a disciple. He's got he's got a collar on. You know, he he. 
He's got a ring on his finger. He he says mass. He wears all those robes. He's definitely a disciple. And then, but then you look at you know average Joe on the Catholic on the on the street, and it's kind of like yeah, he's just sweeping the streets. He, you know, he might not be a disciple, but I suppose you know everyone's called to it. Uh, a question came to mind when you said that is like might be a bit spicy this question, but like you say everyone's called. Does that mean people of other religions are also called to be disciples? Uh, I do. I, I uh, as, 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 as I believe that we're all called to be in relationship with Jesus, to accept him as our Lord and Savior and to turn away from, from sin. Uh, and that's how we, f- we f- are fully human. Uh, now, the church herself at the Second Vatican Council talked about uh, people, uh, so talked about all people having to, are called to know Jesus, but a lot of people can't or don't, aren't able to because they don't receive the message in a way, obviously don't live in a country or don't receive the message in a way they can respond. And that that's not like it's, so those people, everybody who does is not Catholic goes to hell because we don't understand ultimately what it means to to be, have, have been given the opportunity to follow Jesus in a way that we fully understand or are fully able to respond to. Mm. Um, so even in our own families, we can have family members as, as all of us who aren't Christian, who, who don't know Jesus. And mm. um, while we do our best to share that with them, we don't always know what's gone on that that's meant that they have not followed him. Mm. But that doesn't let us off the hook. I mean, we should be sharing it in a way that it's it's truly attractive mm. and and well informed and loving. Uh, yeah, but I, I I believe this is what we're made for: is to be in relationship with Jesus. It's I've staked yeah. my life on it. So, would you say that like discipling others is the same as or synonymous with evangelizing? No, no. So there's a there's an encounter. There's the initial. I remember I talked about the stages. There's the initial encounter, which what I would say is more evangelizing is when you meet the person of Jesus, when you meet him, and you really genuinely meet him. And then to be disciples is is, is, is a di- different stage of being formed into a disciple. You know, it's impossibly formed if you haven't encountered Jesus. Okay. Okay. So uh, I would say there's different stages to, to that development to that until you become to the place of int- you know intentional discipleship. Yeah. So evangelism. I just want to clarify again. Uh, you know, when we're speaking of of like the truth, so to speak, you know, this is obviously a very pertinent question that that we're all asking. Every generation asks, and so. I believe that you find the truth in Jesus Christ. Uh, I suppose we've learned as a church that we're not pointing the finger at everybody else and saying, well, then you haven't got the truth and you don't know the truth and, and you're going to hell because of this. You know, we, we believe that ultimately uh, we're called to share the truth and love. And, to, and we haven't always done that, if we're honest. And I haven't always done that. And so I need to uh, constantly seek god's grace and love and ways that i can do that more but ultimately fundamentally 
I'm convinced that it's it's the best way to share his love, to share, help people become the best person they can be. Mm, yeah. This discipleship is the step after evangelization. So evangelization is presenting um, the reality of Christ so that they know that there's a, a relationship to be had. And discipleship is entering deeper into that relationship and conforming yourself onto Christ. Is that what you would say? Yeah, I, w I would say it's, it's providing the opportunity, like Andrew, you know, if we think of Andrew and Peter, Andrew met Jesus and he went to Peter and he said, I've met the Messiah. So he didn't force Peter, he helped him encounter Jesus. Mm. And it's when Peter then encountered Jesus, so he had heard the, the gospel from Andrew, he'd heard the charisma, he'd been given the opportunity to, to be a relationship with Jesus, to come and meet him. He took it up, responded, and ultimately, after time, dropped his net. You know, I've heard of one uh, theologian re referring to conversion as being the drop the net moment, where they dropped their nets and they followed him. No, oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of leaving behind uh, a part of you or right. a way of life to move towards that relationship with Christ. That's right. And so that's what discipleship is. It's being willing to make that initial step. Of course, yeah. I mean, the, the ultimate term is it comes from the master, so the teacher and the student. Jesus referred, you know, refers, referred to that image himself. And, and he's the teacher, we're the students. He's forming us in the, the beauty of the truth, which in the beauty of the truth is that relationship with him, which is found in its fullness in, the, in, our, in our faith. Uh, if you want to speak of stages, there's the, there's the initial trust that one places, and then there's spiritual curiosity, and then there's spiritual openness, followed by spiritual seeking and ultimately intentional discipleship. That, that would be the five stages I would speak of. So trust, curiosity, openness, seeking, so genuine seeking, and then discipleship, entering into, into intentional discipleship. And that's what everyone's called to. Mm. Mm. Brilliant. Well, we've got lots of questions on the chat box. Um, I've got heaps of questions myself, but I think I'm going to let other people um, ask a few questions as well. Um, so we have one here from John. I'm just going to say John so I don't get his name wrong. Uh, aside from prayer, what can we do to strengthen our will to keep the faith where most of the people around us seem to be detached from God? Oh, hi, John. Uh, nice to meet you in this way. Uh, best strength in our well, most of the people. Well, first of all, associate with people who have a faith like uh, you believe or the disciples had, one that is uh, deeply, deeply connected to Jesus. That that. Uh, that is so. That is ground in the in the in the in the church, and in the in foundations the church gives us, uh, and that might have a coach, so a spiritual director. 
someone who, who will encourage you and guide you. Uh, but ultimately, again, that's why we have a, we're part of a church, we're part of a parish, is that you need to be associated with people who are walking the same journey. Uh, we can't, this whole individualist, individualistic society we, we, that we're living in that's becoming more and more isolated is the absolute opposite to what, how a disciple would, is called to live. The school of, of discipleship that we're called to be part of. Hope that helps, John. Yeah, thank you. We've got another question here um, from Joshua. It says, Protestants often talk about communicating the gospel, but doing it very, in very differently to Catholics, it would seem. What is the uh, gospel to a Catholic? Uh, we're going to go into quite a, yeah, this, that's not an easy question to answer. It's a similar gospel. I suppose the charisma is the same both for Protestants and Catholics. It's that Jesus died for me. He died out of love for me. And uh, I am called to repent and follow him. Uh, that's the charisma that's the for every Christian. It's, just, it's the same charisma. How we live it, we live uh, through a very different way that, that a sacramental life, that, that that Protestants wouldn't live under. They would live a, a different type of life. So that the scriptures, sola, sola scriptura, it's another discussion. You know, scripture is the central aspect of their lives. Or we would speak of scripture tradition in the magisterium, which I'm sure you can develop in your next talk with someone. Uh, Dominic. Yeah. But again, you know, and Pope Francis talks about this. It's, you know, if you are Protestant and you feel that's where God's calling you, then you do that. To the best of your ability as catholics you know we are we believe that we're called to this family of faith to this to the bride of of christ and we're called to live that to the best of our ability and until god shows you that's different then you keep doing that as best you can um we have to be careful we don't we're not searching all the time i think that's the i don't know if you've noticed that dominic but it's a generational thing for millennials or for the younger generations, is, is that we, we keep thinking that we have to search more and more and more for more truth. Mm. It's like they say, um, ever since discernment became popular, no one's ever made a decision. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or paralysis by analysis. You know, yeah. the more we, we discern, the more paralyzed we get because we just, we just there's more and more options. Mm. Yeah, because I think, like, um, going back to a mass analogy earlier, it's like, we have to go to the mass to know the mass or but if we mm. say okay i'm just, I'm just going to read everything i can about the mass before i go so then i know everything you'll never get there you know um it's also the same with a boat you know a boat or a car is easier to direct when it's moving if it's stationary like stuck uh it's much it's much more difficult to guide and so if jesus is at the helm and we're moving then he can guide us you now moving trying to move in as well we'll never do it perfectly but we're trying to then it's easier for god to guide us yeah yeah that's cool uh, i kind of follow up from josh regarding um that question of the gospel is like um he's asking do you have a concise way of expressing the gospel to somebody uh, that maybe not know about it what's the charisma again so the charisma is the foundational 
statement of our belief. Jesus died for us. He died for our sins so that we may have salvation. Uh, that is the kerygma. And so you can put that in any way, whether it's a one sentence or a book, as long as it holds that truth, that's what the disciples always proclaimed was the kerygma. It was at the very heart of who they were and they wanted their hearers to know it and to to, to accept it. Uh, yeah, so that, that, that's, what, that's what I would do. I, so that's what I'm trying to do all the time. But sometimes it's not appropriate to just, depends what where people are at. You know, are they ready to hear that in one uh, sh sharp statement or do I need to soften it so that they can hear it in a different way? I don't, it depends. Every listener is different. Every congregation is different. Every audience, audience is different. Um, you know, I heard one commentator's priest, Father James Mellon, said that in every sermon he tries to proclaim, put the kerygma somewhere in it, that Jesus loves you, he died for you, so that you can know true life. See that? Mm. I'm putting it in a different way now. Mm. It, has the, it must have those fundamentals, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's about all time we have. Um, thank you very much, Bishop, for joining us. It's been a, a great conversation. And again, it's one of those topics that we could just talk all night about um, and still not come to the end of it. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, and uh, thank everybody else out there who's been on the live stream. We do this every two weeks on a, um, on a Wednesday night, uh, unless we have someone from the States, then we do on a Saturday um afternoon so please do tune in to find out more about us if you enjoy this podcast find us on your podcasting app look up curiously catholic or you can go on our webpage for evangelion.co.nz evangelion.co.nz we have blogs we have the podcast we have upcoming events and we have a support page that's right you can support us in this mission if you like what we're doing here if you want to know more about it check out the website get involved and help us to be great disciples so we can help you be great disciples as well. So thank you all for joining us tonight and uh, God bless. <laughs>